as we sing those words, I wonder um, how well they resonate with us. Is, is God more than enough for us, more than we can want or ever need, or do we just want more? We want something different. I, mean, I wonder sometimes if we actually believe those words that, that we sing. If you internalize what we're talking about, look like for us in our lives if we actually acted as if if that was the case for us that we do have everything we want and need because of who God is just think about how our lives would be individually and and corporately what, what our world would look like if instead of striving for all these different things to fill up this place in our hearts and in our minds um, I wonder for those ourselves Christians who claim to be followers of Christ, I wonder what that would look like for us if we really acted as if we believed it. You know, as we look at the world today, there's a lot of things that, that are going on. And, you know, we've been through uh, tumultuous uh, political seasons. Um, we, we look at the economy and the things that are happening there, um, mistreatment of various individuals in life, uh, we still struggle, even though, you know, we celebrated Juneteenth yesterday and now is a, a federal holiday, uh, which is, is long overdue, but yet and still, we still have slavery that goes on in this world that we really don't pay much attention to. We need people to stand up. As we read through scriptures, as we are spending time in prayer, as we're seeking God and who he is and what he's done for us, we need to be thinking about others. We need to be thinking about the people that would come after us, not only the people in our families, but also the community for which we live here, right here in Bolingbrook. We need to be reaching them with the gospel. We need to stand up for them. We need to stand up for Christ because as we were just singing those words of God being all that we want and all that we would ever need, there's people outside of these four walls that are searching. They're trying to fill the void in their life with drugs, with alcohol and various other things. But we have the key. We have something that would give them hope. We have something that would fill this space that they're trying to fill with everything else, but we just won't stand up. We're content with coming on Sunday mornings and sitting in our assigned space in the pew. That's not what God has called us to do. To this morning, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. We'll be in Acts chapter 3 this morning, starting in, in verse 1. And we'll, we'll do the whole chapter this morning. We'll see, we'll see how that goes. But Acts chapter 3, and, and we're going to talk about what this looks like. As we started, as the early church started, and they're on fire. You know, uh, uh, Jesus has just ascended to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. And his disciples, his apostles are on fire, and they are going and, and taking on this charge that uh, Jesus had called them to. We see Peter. If you remember Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times before he was to be betrayed, Jesus said, hey, Peter, this is going to happen. And, and Peter's like, no, no, that won't be me. I'm your ride or die. I'm going to be with you there to the end. 
And sure enough, the people came up to him when uh, Christ was being uh, about to be led to be crucified. And surely enough, people come, hey, weren't you with that guy? Hey, weren't you one of the ones with Jesus? Like, no, that wasn't me. All of a sudden, his, his story changed. But then something happened after they found the, the empty tomb and everybody heard about it. You know, the angels told them who found the tomb to say, hey, go get the disciples and even Peter. Make sure you get Peter too. Because Peter was uh, downtrodden. He was upset with himself because he thought he was going to be solid and be ride or die with Christ. But he said he, they wanted Peter to be encouraged and to come and see the risen Savior. And then we see this miraculous change at the moment of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles. And man, these guys changed dramatically. They went from being meek nobodies to being courageous for Christ and who he is and getting out the gospel and making sure people hear it. This is why we're reviewing Acts. This is the way we need to be. We need to be changed. We need to be on fire because of who Jesus Christ is. Look with me in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom lay laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Here we encounter... Um, you know, Peter and, 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 Jan, and John coming through and they're going to pray just as many other people are going to do. And they encounter this man that is disabled and he's out there. And we see this from time to time, the, the people that are homeless or disabled and they're, they're trying to find somebody to help them out. And we, they encounter this man. So Luke tells us that this man has been lame since birth. He's been disabled since birth. And if you think of the way that we treat people who are disabled today, it was much worse in the first century. You know, at that time, people with major disabilities, it was pretty much a death sentence, you know, or at least a life of poverty. You know, this guy would sit outside the gate and just asking for just some change or whatever, and people would just walk by, not think twice about it. This disabled, the, the disabled were looking, looked at as a, they were looked at as an economic liability. Like, what are we going to do with these people? They can't go and work on their own. They can't uh, bring in a salary. So the, to their family, it was an enormous drain, not only on them, but also for the society. And unfortunately, much like we've seen in areas like China and others, people with disabilities were often victims of infanticide in the first century. They literally discarded those people who were born disabled. And while this was common for pagans, it was forbidden for the Jewish culture. So it was still very difficult for the family who were just trying to make ends meet. And here they have a disabled relative, a son, daughter, or whatever have you, they had to care for this disabled family member. And most times, the only thing that they could, that could be done was just to take them to a public place and, and sit them down so that they can ask for alms or money or change, like this poor lame beggar. It's similar to what we see here often, 
once our weather turns nice, we start to see more and more people who are homeless and they carry their signs hoping that somebody would stop and again, like this lame beggar, would give them some change, give them some food or, or whatever have you, something that would help them to get to their next meal. So we can understand this dire position that this man is in as he calls out to Peter and John. It's like, hey, can you do a little something? Can you just help me out? This gate was called Beautiful. And it said that it was some huge doors, very ornate, and served as protection for the, the temple. And this lame beggar, he was very strategic in choosing this place. Again, he knew people would be coming in and out in order to go to prayer. And he knew that um, the, the Jews would be there, and they had an obligation as, as Jews to go and be obedient to the law for caring for the needy. And so, hey, this is the, the best place to be to catch these people. Not only are they going to go pray to their God, but they, they also have this obligation based on the law. So uh, hopefully I can do okay and make it to the next point. Look with me in verse 3. So seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and, and as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have to give to you, well, what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The key here is this lame beggar, he was not just broke, he was broken. He's physically disabled. He's uh, likely humiliated and hopeless. And, and here he is standing there just asking people as they go in, can you help me out? Can you do something? Peter and John have compassion on him. And, and instead of ignoring him, and if you walk down in, in downtown Chicago or even here locally, you will see a lot of people on the side in the same way. And most of the time they just get ignored. People walk right past whether they want have something to give or not. But Peter and John, they didn't. They actually stopped. And even though this guy was asking for money, Peter and John, they had something much greater. They had something much better than what, they, what this beggar hoped for. What the man received was far more than he expected. And Peter and John, they, they shared the grace of Jesus Christ. What an example that is for us to encounter this person that he just wanted a little, a little change, you know, maybe a little, a little peanut butter sandwich or something, just something to get him by, something to fill his stomach. What strikes me every time I read this story is how often we expect so little from God. When we go and uh, this is true for me, and maybe it's true for you. Uh, going and praying to God, uh, we pray for such, such small things or have expectations for so, so small things. Or maybe it's just that we don't understand how deep our needs are. Or maybe we underestimated the, the depths of our own depravity. And because of this, we really don't seek a solution for the state that we're in. We're just, we just want to get to the next day instead of seeking the solution for what it is that they were dealing with. This beggar thought the best he could get was a little money or his next meal. He thought, well, that's, that's all I can do. 
I'm just going to ask for the bare minimum and see what happens. The next thing he knows is that Christ gives him far more than he can ever imagine, that he could ever dream of, that he can ever think of. When I was first called here as pastor, I began to pray to God that we would redeem this space that we're in, this, this building that we have. You know, I, I was thinking that, you know, maybe we can have uh, some people come in and because it uh, goes virtually unused for six days of the week, right? I mean, we come on Sunday and have a service. Maybe we have a fellowship. But the, the other days of the week, it's got to be heated in, in the, the winter. It's got to be cooled in the summer. We've got water. We've got utility. We've got all this stuff and that needs to be maintained in this building. I kept going to the Lord and say, I, I want to, to, to submit to you, and I want to redeem this space. I want to be a good steward of what you've given to us. So I started to pray that we would be able to bless others with the space that we have. And I was thinking that maybe some business people would come for a co-working space or maybe some organizations would be able to come and have their monthly meetings in a room that was unoccupied. And I just kept telling the Lord I wanted to be a good steward of what he's given us. And I just wanted to bless others. Then out of the blue, it's crazy how God works. Then we hear about this Montessori school that needs a place to have school. Because if they, they couldn't stay where they were and they were faced with either finding a place to move or closing their doors, we started to have this conversation about what, what it looked like and it just so happened they needed the exact amount of space that we had available. Like this beggar, my prayer and my expectations were small and the Lord did far more than I could ever imagine. He supplied our needs greatly. And even through all the hiccups that we had in the construction and the build out, the Lord showed continuously that he was in control. I know many of us were a little worried that we wouldn't be able to get them in and they would be able to start school on time, but the Lord showed up. The Lord showed that he was sovereign over what was happening. He showed that he was the one orchestrating it. Then with this pandemic, to be honest with you, I'm not sure that we would, would have been able to keep the doors open with the level of giving the way it was over this past year and everything else that came with it. Without having the school here, I don't know that we will be here today. I didn't know that's what we needed, but God did. I didn't know that there was going to be a pandemic where we wouldn't be able to come to the building and occupy it. I didn't know that, that people would be out of jobs and wouldn't be able to tithe like they usually do. I didn't know any of that, but God did. And he put all those pieces in place for us so that we can continue to be obedient to him, so that we could continue to be a blessing to others. Brothers and sisters, we ask for alms. We ask for change or whatever it is when we should be asking for healing. We should be asking, we, we serve a great God and we ask for, for so little as, as if, well, maybe we don't deserve it or if, or maybe we think that God is not uh, able to do what it is that we ask of him. He's able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. Instead of just limping along with our current ailments, we should be asking him that you take this away from me completely. Renew my body, renew my mind. 
instead of you know, fixing our, our heart issues and, and just to give us a few more months. We should be asking the Lord for the new heart to give me, give me more years. We should be asking for deliverance, deliverance from alcohol, deliverance from drugs and, and many other addictions. We should be asking for reconciliation. Not like, well, I don't just want them to bother me anymore. No, I want to be reconciled to them. I want you to understand that our deepest needs are not physical, but spiritual. We, we are so short-sighted. We just, if it just, give me, just give me another day, just get through this moment. But we serve a God who spoke in the universe, left into existence. Surely he can take care of your ailments. He can take care of your bills. He can take care of, of your depression. We like to ask God to change our circumstances when we should be asking him to change us. We should be asking him to change us so that we can find joy in all of the circumstances. So maybe he doesn't heal your body, but he can show you a way to have joy in the midst of that sorrow. He, 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 maybe he doesn't uh, take away your bills and help you with your finances directly, but he shows you how you can have joy in the midst of that. He can show you or he put you in a place where you can get those, some of those odd jobs. You get a call and you get a promotion. Or just show you how to budget. He can do far more than we ever think or imagine. In his book, The Weight of Glory and Other Addresses, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promises in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Why are we far too easily pleased? <sighs> I don't know about you guys. That, that rocks me to the core. It's not, it's not that we're, our desires are too strong, but it's too weak. Can you imagine that? Listen, God doesn't promise prosperity in this life. But he does provide power over sin. God does not promise a wealth, but he does promise contentment in Christ. I just recently did a podcast talking about Philippians 4.13, where it says, and we all know this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Spoiler alert, this is not talking about um, being a, a six-foot basketball player or winning the Super Bowl, but it's talking about finding contentment in Christ despite the situation that we're in. It's about looking to him for all of our needs and being satisfied by what he's given us and, and how he's sustaining us through it. We might not be rich in this life, but God has promised us riches in heaven. So please don't get distracted by what the world has to offer. 
when Jesus can offer so much more. He offers us more than we can ever dream or we can ever imagine. I must be preaching to myself. Because this is, this is cutting to the core for me. I could just stop there and, and I would be good knowing what God has already done, how he's been faithful and loving to me. That's all the message that I need. And I can go home, but it doesn't stop there. If that was the end of the story with this lame beggar, uh, I would be good. I don't know about you guys, but I would be good. But it doesn't stop. It doesn't end because this miracle that takes place isn't simply for the lame beggar. This miracle that takes place is being done so that the gospel would be on display for everybody that's around. And by extension, it would be a reminder for us as well. Peter makes it clear that they were working for and through Jesus Christ. And this miracle pointed directly to the power of the living Christ. And look with me in verse 7. He said, as he took, took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. This guy, this lame beggar, lame from birth, disabled, never walked before, He's asking for alms. Just give me a little bit. Help me to get to the next day. Whatever it is that you got, give it to me. Peter and John said, I don't have money, but what I do have, I'll give to you. And, and he goes and says, took some by the right hand, raised them up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And check out verse 8. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Think about this. We repass this too quickly, and we just take it at face value. We don't think about it. This man has never walked in his life, not once. He was disabled since birth, never walked. And here these two guys come and say, stand up and walk, pull them up. Not only did he walk, but he leaps, he jumps. I don't know if anybody of you, if you might have stubbed your toe, how hard it is to walk after stubbing your toe. Think about breaking your leg or breaking your ankle or something like that. Or people that are paraplegics and they start to get feeling back. And over time, they've got to relearn how to walk. You've got to take time to learn. But not this man. Through the name of Jesus Christ, they said, stand up and walk. And he didn't have to learn nothing. Not only did he walk, he leaps. <laughs> Y'all not hear me. This man jumps up, he leaps, he starts walking, praising God. Man, this is the miracle that we're talking about. This is what it is showing to us. And then verse 9 says, all the people around him saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who said the beautiful gate of the temple. Like, hey, ain't that the dude we pass every day coming in here? How, how is this possible? How is, he, how is he walking around? What's going on here? They recognized him as the one who said the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Think about this. As we go through our lives, we go to work or we, we're going and running errands or whatever it is. When, when things are not going right for everybody else and you're able to be content in Christ, think about the amazement and wonder that they see through you. That they would be like these people and wonder, like, hey, 
Isn't that person that used to have a sourpuss on their face a few years ago and didn't want to talk to people? Now all of a sudden they're smiling and asking me how I'm doing. They, they want to pay for my coffee or, you know, take me out of lunch. What is going on with this person? Why are they acting this way? And we would be able to, to share with them the gospel and good news. We share with them what Christ has done for us. After being healed, the first thing that he does is go into temple and praising God. His first priority is already there. Leviticus 21 actually forbids anyone who was lame for going into the temple. So he had never been able to go in. He would never have been able to go and participate in prayer before. But now he can walk and he can leap and he's not lame anymore. He goes straight to God. He goes straight into the temple to pray. This is an example of the messianic kingdom to come. The prophet Isaiah spoke about this in his book. And as soon as people saw him, they were amazed. These onlookers, they, they drew closer, wanting to know what had happened. And we see the Lord, he's opened up this door for the gospel to be shared. He's opened up this door for the gospel to be preached. And then Peter goes on. He steps into that. And he goes in to preach another sermon proclaiming Christ. But instead of focusing on the miracle, this is what we would do. Uh, this was so great that this man stood up and he started walking. You wouldn't believe it. It was amazing to see. And he started sleeping around. And we want to talk. So what is he going to do next? He's probably going to go back to school and he's going to do all this stuff. He's going to be able to work. And we will be focused on the wrong thing. We will be focused on the miracle instead of the miracle worker. This is what Peter draws us back to. He focuses on the source of the miracle who is Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, any and all gifts should lead us to praise God. If we're seeking these miraculous gifts, it should ultimately draw our eyes to the giver. And the most miraculous gift of all is the free gift of salvation. Look with me in verse 13. It says, And the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in his presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom Jesus raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by his name, by faith in his name, we made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. So in pointing us to the Messiah, Peter shows that Jesus is the promised servant of the Old Testament who was glorified by God. And this should remind us, remind us of Jesus' prayer before he went on the cross in, in John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
Peter defines Jesus as the author or the source of life. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 1 and 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no life. Apart from Jesus, there is no life. Much like this, this notes from, it's, it's only good away from the source for a little time. After a while, and I'm at like 30% right now, 28%. But at the end of that 28%, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die. And I got connected to the source. It's only good for a little while. If that, the battery runs down, then I'll just have it plugged into the source at all times, which is what we should be. We need to be connected to Christ, who is the source of life. We need to connect to, be connected to him continuously in order to live. So what do you do with that? Look with me in verse 19. Peter says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke about uh, by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Peter commands his people, as I'm encouraging you here today, that we need to repent and turn back. There is hope for you today if you turn away from your sins. Let's look at verse 26. It's God having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Back in the day when they wrote on some parchment paper, uh, parchment was expensive. And so the, some of the scribes, they would write with this acid-free ink. With this acid-free ink, they could, would be able to take a, a, a damp towel or a sponge and wipe away the ink. You know, much like we do with our um, whiteboards. You know, this is what it means by uh, the message will be blotted out. It will be taken away. It will be erased. If we were able to have a whiteboard up here and we were each to take a turn to write our sins on a whiteboard, effectively what Christ has done is, you know, come and, and see everything written on that whiteboard and blot them out and take an eraser and, and wipe them away. That's what Christ has done for each and every one of us, should you accept him. Because the, the converse of that, because of your sin, what you, what you rightly deserve is death. But Christ took on that death on your behalf. He paid your penalty for you. So you, you don't have to die and you get to live. Not just here on this earth, but we get to live forever and eternity with him. That's what Christ has done for us. He's blotted out our transgressions. The record of your sin is gone and you're declared innocent. If somebody did this for you, wouldn't you want to leap up like this lame beggar? 
If somebody did this for you, would you want to leap and be walking around and telling everybody what happened? I see some heads nodding, but I don't see you doing it. If you really believed in what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us, wouldn't that uh, make you want to go and, and to, to be a strong voice, to be a, light, a beacon of light on the hill? Wouldn't that make you want to do that? Wouldn't that encourage you to do that? Let's get to work. Let's do that. Let's stand up. Stand up for what Christ has done for us. Stand up and actually act like you believe what you read in scriptures. Let's follow Christ and his example and do what it is that he's called us to do. We need to stand up because Jesus wiped away all of our tears, all of our sins. He, he paid our debt and you right now, if you follow Christ, you have no guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation. Chapter four that we'll get to next week, it says that after hearing this message, 5,000 people came forward and believed. 5,000 people. And just previous to this, we had some 3,000 and more that came when they heard the gospel message. There's room enough for them and there's room enough for you as well. We don't have 5,000 people in the room right now, but there's room for you. If this message resonates with you. I don't know what you're dealing with in your life. I don't know. Uh, maybe you were, have something going on since birth or maybe some things that have happened to you recently that you've been trying to, to deal with and go through. There's no, this message is good today. There's no expiration date on the message that we see in scripture. Christ gave up his life once and for all for all sin even yours. And we just ask you to come to him. Accept this gift of salvation and dedicate your life to following him. So that, I'm not saying that your life would be perfect after that. Mine, mine isn't. But I tell you what, I can have contentment because of what Jesus Christ has done. I can have contentment because he gives me strength. And that's available to you as well. So I'll be here. We've got some deacons in the room as well. If you want to have this conversation about what this looks like in your life, we'd love to be able to have that conversation with you and have to uh, or spend time with you in prayer. Or if you're struggling with something right now, and we would love to pray with you to seek the Lord and to seek his face in that endeavor as well. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much. This example of this, this man that was deformed, And we, we thank you for Peter and, and John encountering this man and, and sharing the truth with him. It seems like the truth is just so far and few between these days that sometimes we're scared to share the truth with people. But as we see in your, your scriptures here today, the, the truth will set us free. It'll set us free from the ailments that we have here on this life, the struggles that that we have the challenges, but knowing the truth that in following you and just knowing how good and gracious you are, Father, help us to, to stand up for what you have put before us. Thank you for surrounding us with 
with people that we can lean on, those people that can encourage us along the way. Help us just to move step by step. Help us to to be so on fire for you that we do actually leap up out of our seats, that we would walk wherever you call us to walk, to share the good news of the gospel. Father, we thank you for all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.